No, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you, you understand that millions of Christians around the world are celebrating this day today. This is a very significant event in the life of Jesus. How do we know that? Because it's mentioned in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's mentioned in all of the Gospels. Not all stories, not all things Jesus did are mentioned in all Gospels. And uh, the more I've studied this, the more I have found there is to discover. There is so much in this. There are so many facets that really we're only going to scratch the surface today. But, but uh, again, there is so much symbolism, so much significance in this story, way more than what we have been led to believe over the years. So today I want to try and bring some of these facets alive and help us and hopefully by the end of it, inspire you and leave you thankful because of the grace of God and the redemptive story that's found in Jesus Christ. And so I pray as I preach this today, that you would not just only capture the context of the story, but the emotion of what is taking place in this moment. Last year when we preached this, we were in lockdown. We couldn't go out of our house. It was level four. But at that time we looked at the perspective of the disciple Matthew when he read the story in his gospel. Today we are going to look at the perspective from the disciple John. Are you ready? So am I. In the gospel of John or the gospel according to John, John chapter 12, verse 12, it says, A great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your King is coming. Oh, your King is coming. Your King is coming. Behold, your King is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So I want to touch on five things today. People, Passover, palms, prophecy, and patterns. Yes, they all start with P. I thought of that myself. And like I said, my hope today is to not just paint a picture of the context, but rather also help you capture the emotion of what is an extremely significant moment. So number one, we're going to talk about people and Passover. It says in John that a great multitude, in other versions, it says a large crowd had come for the feast. How large and what feast? Well, we know from Scripture that it is the Passover is the feast that they are talking about, which is one of the most important feasts in the Jewish calendar. Jewish pilgrims from all over the Holy Land and the known world were descending in their thousands and tens of thousands on the great city of Jerusalem, the city of our God. And they were coming there in their preparations for the Passover feast that was just about to start a few days from now. And so when John says a great multitude had come for the feast, he wasn't kidding. The Jewish historian Josephus, who is a very important figure. Why? Because he's, first of all, he's not a believer. He's not a Christian. He had nothing to gain. But he was also someone who lived at the same time as the gospel 
writers. And so what he uh, describes in history is known as an extra-biblical account. There's no agenda behind it. He's just stating history. And so Josephus says at this time in Passover, the population of Jerusalem swelled by 2 million people. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a lot of people. It is, it is. When you consider that the population of Jerusalem at that time was 40,000. Even today, today, it is only 900,000. And that's outside the old city and all surrounding the old city. So this is a significant number of pilgrims coming in to worship God in the feast of Passover. And so, of course, the city of Jerusalem was tiny. It was small. When we were there just a, a, a couple of years ago, back in the olden days when you could travel, when we were there, it really, you could walk around the city, the old city of Jerusalem, in no time at all. It was a very small city. So the, the two million people could not fit in that city. And so they camped all around the city and the surrounding villages. But many would camp on the Mount of Olives that faced the east side of the Temple Mount. And they would camp there because it was like an amphitheater. It was it just sort of surrounded, but was an easy place and with easy sight of the temple. And so thousands upon thousands upon thousands camped there on the gentle slopes of the Mount of Olives, as you can see from this picture that we took from the top of the Mount of Olives, which is not a mountain as we sort of think about it. It's more a hill. Five minutes to walk down, no problem. It's a very, very small, small hill. And so they were camped on those gentle slopes. Now, all of these people coming into Jerusalem for the Passover made the occupying Roman army extremely nervous, extremely nervous. And so they had, when people are gathered in these numbers, especially these crazy religious Jews, they were like, we need to do something. We need to make sure that, 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 that this situation does not get out of hand because these people gathered in these numbers are a threat and a danger. And so they brought many extra reinforcements into the city. Pontius Pilate, who did not live in Jerusalem, he lived in Caesarea, which is a port city. But he, on these occasions, because of the volatility of the event, made his way to Jerusalem to oversee the security arrangements for the Passover. What was he doing? He was determined to maintain order and crush any sign of rebellion. And why do I say that? I say that because you need to understand that these people, these people gathered, they were ready for war. They were ready to fight. See, they can, they can actually taste freedom from the oppressive rule of Rome and its pagan Caesars. That had enough. They were done. It's like they could taste that freedom was coming. Moving stealthily among the crowd were people known as the zealots, like Barabbas, son of rebellion. These were Jewish freedom fighters who would make their way through the crowd gathers trying to stir people up. Come on, let's do it. Could this be the day? Let's take the city. And they were people ready to do whatever it took to see the Holy Land free. They were extremists, but even among them, there were more uh, 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 
extremist extremists, if you like. There were, there were people known as the Sakari. And the Sakari was a kind of a cool name for a game, Shem, by the way. <laughs> but the Sakari, they, they, they actually means dagger men. And so they would have a dagger, a curved dagger, a special dagger. And so they would assassinate people. You'd be in the crowds and suddenly a Roman guard might walk, be walking along and... <laughs> See, I want you to understand Palm Sunday is not about little kids waving things and Jesus coming on a little donkey. There is a lot going on here. And so they would assassinate people, not only, not only Roman people. They would also assassinate Jewish people. They would assassinate anyone who was in allegiance with Rome or anyone who was, was, was buttering up to Rome. You could be dead just like that. They would send an assassin gone. Barabbas, remember his story. So these zealots were moving freely among the crowd. And, and as I said, see, the people had had enough for centuries. The Jewish people had been in captivity under the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire. And now they find themselves under the oppressive hand of the Roman Empire, and they'd had enough. So think about it. I want you to capture the tenseness of this, this moment. Think about it. You have two million passionate people gathered in one place. Why? To participate in their oldest feast, Passover, which is what? It's a celebration of their liberation from 400 years of slavery. 400 years of slavery. They were gathering to remember the time that God set them free. They were gathering there to remember the time when they were slaves and God came through. So you can imagine the atmosphere was highly charged, extremely volatile. It was a powder keg waiting for a fuse to be lit. So the people were there to participate in a festival, think about it, that celebrates their ancestors' deliverance from Egypt, at the same time longing for their deliverance from their own pagan Rome oppression. And eagerly awaiting, and eagerly longing for their Messiah, for a deliverer to come, a deliverer from the lineage of the ancient King David, who would set up the kingdom of God on earth. And when would he come? Could this be the moment? Could this be the day? Could this be the moment when the prophecies are fulfilled? Now, among the multiplied thousands that had gathered, rumors were spreading. Rumors were spreading about a prophet called Jesus. They say, just a few days ago, he rose a man from the dead, a man named Lazarus from the dead, from the village, just a short walk nearby that he'd, he, he had spoke to the grave and Lazarus had come out. These were not just stories. There were eyewitnesses account, eyewitness accounts. People had seen it. They were saying this man spoke and the dead came alive. And then they said, Jesus is there now. He's in the village now, just on the other side of the Mount of Olives, just, just 10 minutes walk from here. So what happened? Heaps of people. Heaps of these multi, this multitude of people camped on the Mount of Olives. These people went to check it out. 
They went to go and see if this was real. Is this Jesus real? Is this Lazarus really alive? And you, you would say, how do you know that? How do you know these people went to jail? Because the scripture tells us. In John chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, just on the other side of the Mount of Olives, very nearby. Where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. There he is. We can see him. In verse 9 it goes on to say this, A large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of Jesus, listen, but also because of Lazarus. They wanted to see Lazarus. Is it true? They wanted to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, because when they saw it, they could not ignore it. Lazarus was dead, and now he's alive. And so you can imagine the excitement. You can imagine. You can imagine the excitement. Could this be the prophet? Could this Jesus be the one who was to come for his people on this very Passover? Could this be the day? That's number one. Number two, I want to talk about palm leaves and prophecies. This will all connect together, I hope. Palm leaves and prophecies. The next day, it says, the next day after that event, they went and saw there is Lazarus. Can't deny it. The next day, we find Jesus riding the colt of a donkey, making his way over and down the Mount of Olives to the temple in Jerusalem, the thousands who are camped on the Mount of Olives, as Jesus passes by, they gather on the road to get a glimpse of him. They want to see him. Who is this Jesus? So they, they, they line the roads to catch a glimpse. Scripture in John tells us the people took palm leaves and waved them in the air, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. God, there's so much going on here. See, in Jewish culture in ancient times, palm, palm branches symbolize what? They symbolize goodness, well-being, and victory. Psalm 92 verse 12 says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. Palms were often depicted on important buildings. King Solomon, in 1 Kings 6 verse 29, it tells us, had placed palm branches or had them carved into the walls and doors of the temple. Palms represent very significant things in Scripture. But here's what I want you to understand about this moment today, about this moment in history. The people waving palm branches were not, everybody say not. They were not. They were not waving palm branches as a symbol of peace and love. As many Christians assume. As many Christians think that is what goes with peace and love. Come on. They're mixing festivals up. See, palm leaves right here, what's happening right now, they were a symbol of Jewish nationalism. They were an expression of an occupied people's desire for political freedom. Remember the story when Jesus was asked, shall we pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus said, bring me a coin. They brought him a coin. They, 
He looked at the coin and said, whose image is on it? Caesar's, they replied. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Understand, when the Jewish nation was free, before Rome, when the Jewish nation was free, before the occupation of Rome, the coins of a free Jewish nation were inscribed with the palm tree. That was the image that was upon it. Palms were a symbol of a free nation. Waving the palm tree was like, if I can even say this in church, but I'm going to anyway. But waving the palm tree was like giving the Roman government the middle finger. It was an act of rebellion on an epic scale. Exactly the thing that Rome was nervous about. Exactly the thing that Rome was worried about. The palm was also the symbol of the zealot movement. Waving palm branches in the view of Rome was actually a capital offense as it was seen as a symbol of insurrection against the empire. But what could, what could Rome do when two million people are doing it? What could Rome do when the masses and the multitude are rebelling? There's too many of them. And so understand as Jesus enters Jerusalem, what is taking place is a people's rebellion against the Roman Empire at the highest order. In fact, scholars call this event the triumphant entry. And understand this, that is not a Jewish term, that's a Roman term. The gospel writers never use the term triumphant entry. That, that's what the scholars have identified this because it looks like the triumphants when a Roman general had won a great victory, the city would gather and welcome him back into Rome and wave and cheer. They're saying this is like this. Here is this, 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 this a, a, a king coming into town. Hosanna, the people shouted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Hosanna, the original word that we sung just before, in Hebrew is the word Hosanna. Hosanna. And it means save us. Lord, we beseech thee, save us. Save us now is the literal meaning. Of the save us now. We are desperate. Save us now. Save us from our oppression. Save us. The quotation is from Psalm 118 verses 25 and verse 26. One of the Halal Psalms. Which is recited at every Jewish festival and liturgy. But here's the thing, here's the difference. You can go and check it out. I'm not looking at it now. You can go and check it out for yourself. But the crowds do something crazy. I mean, these guys are pumped. They're excited. They do something crazy. They explicitly, as they're yelling out this and shouting out, blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. As they are shouting out this, here's what they do. They explicitly refer to Jesus as their messianic king. How do I know that? Because they've added the phrase, King of Israel. That is not in the original psalm. That's never quoted. They have added King of Israel. 
And this is perhaps the most dangerous part of this entire scene. For six days later, Jesus will be crucified and above his head will be placed a placard which says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And we look at that and go, amen, what the Roman government was saying. This is what Rome does to your kings. This is what Rome does to your Jewish kings. We hang him on a cross. Take his life. Oh, there's a lot going on here. And this is why in Luke 19, religious leaders of the Jews, as this was all happening, as Jesus is coming down, his feet like crying, Hosanna, blessed be the whole. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're like, stop him. Jesus, stop your disciples crying out these things. Stop them. They knew and understood exactly what that means. Stop your disciples speaking these things, Jesus said. If I was to stop them speaking, even the very stones would cry out. Do you understand here that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing? There was no mistake here, no accident here, no... Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. As he mounted the colt of a donkey and made his way to the gate of Jerusalem, he knew that this would be interpreted and understood by the people as a fulfillment of messianic prophecy. He knew that. He did that on purpose. It wasn't an accident that he had. No, he knew exactly the message that he was wanting to send. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written. Where is it written? In the Old Testament. Zechariah 9 verse 9. Fear not. Here's what's written. And John repeats it. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. Your king is coming. Sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus knew and understood exactly what he wanted to tell them. And that's why the people were pumped. That's why they were ecstatic. That's why they were over, overjoyed when they saw this. They were, it wasn't just Jesus walking. He was fulfilling a messianic prophecy. When they saw it, they went crazy. And also Rome would have been watching. You can, you can imagine from the high walls, the high city walls of Jerusalem, the Roman guards looking over, perhaps even Pontius Pilate peeking out of the curtain could see what was taking place. They understood the symbolism of what Jesus from Nazareth was doing. They understood that this, this is the prophecy being enacted out. And so that ends number two. We're at number three, patterns. Patterns. Because there's something else going on here at this time. There's a... There's an old saying that goes like this. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. In other words, there are types, symbols, shadows, and patterns in the Old Testament that now become clear or clearer in the New and so we need to understand that there is more going on here on this day than meets the eye. Yet the multitude did not perceive it. The multitude did not see it. The multitude missed it. Don't you? 
Don't you miss it today. Don't get swept up. There's much going on. See, the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem was also a very important day for another reason. The day that Jesus entered Jerusalem was in the preparation for the Passover. This was Lamb Selection Day. Four days before Passover, that's why the pilgrims were there. Four days before Passover, Jews, every family would select a lamb without spot and without blemish. The lamb, of course, was what? It was a symbol of, of God's deliverance from Egypt. The family would welcome the lamb into their house, raise it before sacrificing it four days later. Symbolizing what? Symbolizing salvation through its shed blood as was depicted in the very deliverance from Egypt thousands of years before. So simultaneously here you have two events clashing together. An ancient holiday about deliverance and a political insurrection ready to welcome the coming Messiah, deliverer who will free the Jews from the oppression of Roman occupation. All on Lamb Selection Day. Now Jesus was their deliverer, but he came not to deliver them from the power of Rome. See, the people wanted their Messiah to be a, a political, military deliverer. But this King Jesus, he came to deliver his people, not from external political oppression. Very important to understand in these days. This King Jesus, he came to deliver his people, but not from external political oppression, but rather from the eternal power of sin and death. And so when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, Jesus came to his people as the Lamb of God. Jesus, a sinless Messiah who would die on mankind's behalf, appeared on the very day that people chose their spotless Passover lambs. It's almost as if God said to the world, here's my lamb. Will you choose him? Here's my lamb. Will you take him? But instead of turning to Jesus as the lamb of God, the crowds misunderstood the proclamation. They misunderstood his proclamation that he was the Messiah. They wanted him to be their political, their, their, their military deliverer, their warrior Messiah, their conquering Messiah. But he comes as a lamb. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, For Christ, our Passover lamb. He's our Passover lamb. Now don't get me wrong, he, 
He was and is a conquering king, but he came to conquer the power of sin and death. And he who the Son sets free, come on, somebody is free indeed. This is why he came. See, Jesus understood that the true peace, true freedom they desire, it won't come from conquering some occupying empire. It's not about trying to make a Christian nation, can I say? See, true freedom will not come from get, just, just, just getting rid of some occupying empire. It will come from the sacrifice of a lamb. Just as their deliverance had come thousands of years before, it will come through the shared blood of one who lays down his life for the whole household, that the whole household may be delivered. This was the teaching and the pattern of Exodus. That is what was celebrated at Passover. And the multitude had missed it. And I'm saying today, don't you miss it? They were cheering for a warrior Messiah. But on Lamb Selection Day, they didn't realize it, but they had just chosen their sacrificial lamb. And they welcomed this lamb into their spiritual home, Jerusalem. And four days later, they would participate in its sacrifice. A sacrifice that would bring true freedom, true peace, true deliverance to all of mankind. One that was not dependent on conquering our external circumstances, but rather one that would conquer sin and death once and for all. On that day, they cried out, Hosanna. In a few days from now, they cried out, Crucify Him. But know this, because He was crucified, we today, can shout Hosanna. We today can shout Hosanna. Lord, we beseech thee. Save us. Save us now. Because he rose, we can rise. Sin and death has been taken care of. For our Passover lamb has come. As Paul wrote, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Today we can cry, Lord, save us now. I don't know your situation. I don't know your problems. I don't know... But how you've ended up in church today, but I want to tell you there is a God in heaven who loves you and died for you that you can know true freedom, true peace, true deliverance, true redemption. Today, would you cry to him, Hosanna, Lord, save me now. For our sin separates us from God. But if you would cry out to him, say, God, I need you. 
Your lamb has come. Your sin is taken care of. Your death, he died. So you might live and be free. This is what Palm Sunday is all about. This is what Palm Sunday means for us today. I pray that stirs, I hope I've captured it and relayed it. You understand this lamb has died for you, that you can be free today, thankful for our Jesus. Can we give the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Come on, let's give him some praise in this place. Would you stand? And I want us to count, I'm going to count to three. And I'm, when I count to three, it's going to be a little bit weird, but we're going to do it anyway. I just want you to say Hosanna nice and loud. Saying, Lord, save us now. Save our families. Deliver our households. Save our children who are far away from God. Save our relatives. Save those who do not know Christ. Save those. All of that will be captured in that word. My King and my God. Ready? One, two, three. Loud. Hosanna. Again, one, two, three. So be it. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you. And be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you shalom, peace. For you and all your household. And everybody said,